Welcome to Truth Matters Church, contending for the faith one verse at a time. Continuing our study of Revelation, today we hear part two of our look at Jesus' statement that he will write the name of his God and the city of his God on believers. In this deep dive study, we are drawn to the new covenants both God the Father and Christ the Son made with Israel and the church. Leading our expository study, here is Pastor Alex. And today we're continuing our study titled, I Will Make and Write on Him. As a reminder, this has been a very, a fairly long journey in this small letter. And as we've learned, as we're going through now, this is the sixth letter. All six letters, and all seven letters in fact, but all the six letters that we've covered thus far is, is pretty consistent. We have the Lord Jesus Christ examining the seven churches. And John saw in that great vision the glorified Son of Man and described him in very descriptive terms. And the Lord Jesus is the one who is giving this message to the churches. And as we've learned that in each of these seven churches that there are seven angels who have also been assigned over those churches. So this letters or these letters, it has a dual audience in that it is written to the angel over that church, as well as to the recipient, or as well as the believers, the recipients of this letter. But there is a consistent theme. The Lord Jesus, he is delivering the message to these first century churches of what he has found. And so he's evaluated them. He's evaluated their faith. He's evaluated their trials. He's evaluated also their shortcomings. And he has made an assessment. And in these letters, as he's assessing the churches, he ends it with a promise. In every single one of these letters, it ends with a promise. And where we find ourselves in the finale of this study is we're getting into the promises of the, one of the many promises that our Lord has made. And what we're learning is that promises isn't just limited to the first century recipients of this letter, unless it's qualified. If it's unqualified, as far as he who overcomes is consistent with he who believes, and that would include the believers in the church of Jesus Christ, that these promises apply not only to them, but even future from them, even to us and ahead of us. So we're learning what those promises are when we get to the letter, the end, of the, uh, the end of these letters. And when we find ourselves at the end of Philadelphia, it's a pretty loaded promise. But in a nutshell, he goes, I will make something, and I will write on him something. What we're going to endeavor to do as we close out this letter is to try to glean what these promises are. What do we have to look forward to as believers in Jesus Christ? And I think we're starting to get a little sense that, wow, we don't, we're not just saved and you know, go to heaven and be like angels or play harps and clouds and things like that. No, our, there's a lot in store for the saints. And we're trying to at least get some idea on what they are. And what did we learn in one of our past studies? When our Lord says, I will do something and our Lord Jesus is speaking, the Lord Jesus himself is going to do it. 
He's not going to send an angel to do it. He's saying, I will make and I will write. Our Lord Jesus, our Savior, our risen Savior, the glorified Son of Man is the one who will personally do it, and we will see what that is. So what we'll do is, let's get it re-familiar one last time of this letter. We probably memorized it by now. But let's read this short letter, and then we will pick it up right at verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this. I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door, which no one can shut, because you have a little power, and have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan, who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. I will make them come and bow down at your feet, and make them know that I have loved you. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So we'll pick it up right at the very tail end of this letter back in verse 12. And let's read that one more time. Our Lord says there, he goes, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. And we broke up this verse, or we started to break it up last week, this verse into four parts. And these four parts were, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And we've covered that last week. We also took a look briefly when he says, I will write on him. Uh, And then there was another part we broke out, this new Jerusalem that's mentioned. And then lastly, when Jesus uses the phrase, my God. And that's what we're going to spend some time talking about today. But as a way of reminder, what we've learned last week when it says, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And Jeremy, I think you said it best, you know, when we think about a pillar, because a pillar can actually mean something that holds up a building, a pillar, but it can also be used figuratively, saying, well, he's a pillar in the community, or he's a pillar over there, or she's a pillar over here. It's this upstanding kind of sense. And that's the idea of here, when it says, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. This is not saying that... we're going to actually hold up a temple and actually be the one that's supporting you know, the structure of this temple, but that we will be pillars of the church of the living God. We would be households of, uh, a part of the household, a pillar of truth in the temple, and we've learned that that temple is from heaven. And as far as the timing of this promise, what we've learned is that, well, when you get to the very end of the book of Revelation, you get to the very end. Remember, we're taking Revelation. We're not going to jumble it up. We're taking chapters 1 through 22 the way it's outlined. And if, you know, if anyone wants to disagree with that, then you're disagreeing with at least the way and the order in which it was given in Scripture. And 
I'm going to tell you, I'm going to resist in doing that. And I'm going to continue to teach us and frame Revelation that way. But when we get to the very end, to the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from God, you know what happened before that time? The seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls have already been done. Uh, The millennium reign of Christ has already been done. The thousand years was completed, Satan was freed, and then he led that last rebellion. Then we get to the lake of fire, reference there, where Satan is finally thrown into the lake of fire. And then we have this vision of everything is just gone. The first heaven and the first servant has passed away and there's no longer any sea. And then I saw the new heaven, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from, you know, from God. And that's after the great white throne judgment. So when he says, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, I'm placing that even post all this to that area. And what was it again that we've learned? What is that period called collectively? If this is called the first heaven and the first earth, what is this called? The new heaven and the new earth. So believers in Jesus Christ will be made pillars in the temple of His God, our Lord Jesus Christ God, in the new heaven and the new earth. Now I do want to make a little kind of a consideration here, and as I'm continuing to go through the book of Revelation, there are souls that were beheaded that John saw in his vision that were under the altar. And the angel asked John, who are they? And John says, you know. And he goes, these are they who came out of the great tribulation. And they were also in the temple in heaven. And the Father has spread his temple over them and saying, no longer will the heat burn them, no longer will, you know, will they be basically in suffering and in need. And he will care for them and they will also be before his throne. So there are a group of believers who already are kind of like that pillar in the temple of God. But I want to qualify it. Those are those, because when the angel said, who are they? These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation. And that's one of the seals that we're going to study in a future time. So I do want to say this. Although generally, the, the rest of the believers were going to be made a pillar in the temple of God at the end, there are going to be special groups who are going to get that up front. And some of that would include here the souls that were beheaded. So I want to say this. If you weren't beheaded, it's not you. Okay? You're already eliminated from that honor to be under the altar. Okay? But I'm going to save that for a future time. But our Lord is going to make believers pillars in the temple of His God. And we know that that's not going to arrive until the new heaven and a new earth arrived. So that's even well ahead of us. So there are promises. What we're learning is, if you thought that you should get all the promises at once, we're getting a sense, no, you're, these promises are going to kind of be spread out. And, and there's a season and a time for these promises to come to fruition. And this is one of them. So if you were to ask me, you know, will we be pillars in the temple of God right upon death? I go, probably not unless you were one of the special groups that were called out in Scripture that got that privilege. Otherwise, these are what's in store for us at that appointed time. Our Lord not only promises to make us a pillar in heaven's temple, in the new heaven and new earth, but then he goes on to say, he goes, I will write on him. 
And this is what he's going to write. He says, I'm going to write the name, the enoma of my God. I'm going to write, our Lord Jesus speaking, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. And I asked us the question, you guys remember? So write is grapho, and it literally means to inscribe. Literally to inscribe. So even if you were to use, um, talking about the authors of scripture, and they actually when they write the words of God, they're grapho, right? They're writing the actual words of God that was given to them by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Scripture is grapho, which has been written by the prophets or those whom God has used to write his holy word. And when he says, I will write grapho, I asked us, what part of the body, or what, what is he going to write on you, and what is he going to write on me? Our Lord Jesus is saying, I'm going to write this. And I said, you must use scripture. And what we learned, at least, there was only one mention. So I looked at all of the times, uh, the usage of grapho. When was something inscribed on a person, or in their soul, or in their being? And it took me to Revelation 14. And this was concerning the 144,000 sealed Jews. And there's that verse there. Uh, Let me read that one more time. Uh, Revelation 14, verse 1. John writes there, Then I looked, and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his name, Anoma, and the name of his father, written, Grapho, on their foreheads. So last week I made the argument deduction that the Lord Jesus, okay, so beginning with the 144,000, and what was written on their foreheads, was our Lord Jesus' name and the name of his Father on their foreheads. And I was saying, here's a deduction. They were written first, but then eventually the rest of us, our Lord Jesus says, I will write on him as well. We're not going to be left out. I'm telling you, what's also coming to mind is this first is last, last is first principle. It's starting to really start to make sense. There's an order of things that are going to happen, but we're all going to get there at the end. And including even in this promise, I will write on him. Well, looking at the 144,000 sealed Jews, what was written on their foreheads was our Lord Jesus' name or authority and the name or authority of his father also on their foreheads. But here's where I I say, okay, I made that argument last week. I started to ponder that a little more. I was like, okay, I want a little more insight into this. And I was drawn to Hebrews Interestingly enough, here we have the 144,000 that were written on them, on their foreheads, the name of Jesus and the name of his Father. And I was, I was drawn to Hebrews. And one in particular, and about a new covenant. Here, here, I want to ask us a question. You guys ready? How many new covenants are there? Who is it with? <laughs> There's two new covenants. You're like, wait, 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 wait. Oh, isn't it the Old Testament, New Testament, Old Covenant, New Covenant? There's two new covenants. You're like, wait, what do you mean there's two new covenants? There's what we're thinking about is the covenant that the Lord Jesus made on the night and on, during his last supper when he, was having, when he was having Passover with his disciples. And he says, this is the new covenant I make with you. And he goes, do this in remembrance of me. We're thinking about that covenant, aren't we? So there's only one in our mind, that new covenant. And the Apostle Paul was given instructions on that covenant saying, okay, 
Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of him, for you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When I'm drawn to Hebrews, it's something different. And I'm going to present before us that there's a covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, and then there's a covenant with the church. You're like, wait, what? I'm going to show us. I'm going to show us through Scripture. You ready? And here's why I'm going on this, because our Lord Jesus says, I will write on him. And we went to the 144,000, and I was drawn to here, and I was like, wait a minute. I'm starting to see there are specific covenants to these specific groups, and there is also someone who's making these covenants with these groups. So are you ready to see what that looks like? So let's read the Hebrews passage about the new covenant. We'll pick it up in Hebrews 8 and verse 7. For if that first covenant, and I put here the Mosaic covenant is what the Hebrew writer is referring to here, had been faultless, there would have been no occasion for a second. For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen, and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all will know me from the least to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful of their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And when he said a new covenant, he has made the first one obsolete, but whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear." And we're going to exposit this a bit, uh, exposit this a bit. but I want to tell us, as, as we're being judicious here and we're studying Scripture, remember the house of Israel is the house of Israel. The house of Judah is the house of Judah. And the church is the church, 100% of the time. Don't blur them up. When you don't blur them up, then the Scriptures become more clear. So, and I mentioned this before in past studies, there's teachings out there, this replacement theology that teaches something along the lines that the church has replaced Israel. Well, you're bumping up right against Romans 11 because they are still God's people for whom he foreknew and God has not rejected them. And no, the church, you have not replaced them. In fact, they're experiencing hardening of heart until ultimately the fullness of the Gentiles is. And we'll see that that's prophetic leading up to the abomination of desolation. But he's saying until that is done, then God will show mercy to them again. So as we're studying scripture, do not confuse the house of Judah the house of Israel, or, you know, the, um, Israel, or the church, they are all specific groups, and they're all God's elect according to his elective purposes. So now let's exposit this with that. Let's look at verse 8 one more time. For finding fault with them, the old Mosaic covenant, he said, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now I want to ask us a question. Who's the Lord here? Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord Kyrios. Who is speaking here? The Father. Amen. 
Remember, the father took that name or title of Kyrios and at the exaltation of Jesus Christ, he, he exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, and that is Kyrios. He gave that title of Kyrios and he delegated it to his son. But the original Kyrios is the father. The father speaking here. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So let me ask us another question. In the old covenant, who was the one that appeared in the burning bush to Moses? Who was the one who called Abram out of his father? Who, which person of the Trinity did that? The Father. God the Father. Okay? And the, the Father is saying, I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel. What's that new covenant? And I told us here. It is not the Lord's Supper. And I'm going to show this. Okay? Let's go to the instructions, our go-to instructions. Whenever communion is administered, this is the go-to passage about instructions on the Lord's Supper. So let's read what Paul writes in this letter to Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. He says, For I received from the Lord, and I put us there. He received from who? From Jesus. Okay? For I received from the Lord Jesus, which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, there it is, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So here, let me, I, I want to give us some notes here from this, this instruction here. The communion or the Lord's Supper is the new covenant in Jesus' blood. And why does, why does the church of Jesus Christ, why are we observing communion? Because we're proclaiming the Lord's death until He comes. So this new covenant that is in Jesus' blood, we as believers in Jesus Christ, the reason why we observe communion is because it was a new covenant in His blood and we're proclaiming His death until He comes. That's what this new covenant is. It's observed by the church until he comes. This is not the new covenant the Father will make with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. we got to get this. Let's continue on. For finding fault with them, again, you know, back to Hebrews 8.8, 8. for finding fault with them, the old Mosaic covenant, he says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, God the Father, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So this new covenant, it's not a covenant of communion but from God the Father to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. And let me ask us a question, and I, I kind of I gave you the answer. Who's the house of Israel? Who's the house of Judah? Okay. It's not the church. So there's a new covenant in Jesus' blood for the church, and there's a new covenant that the Father will make with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. That's not communion. Both new covenants but to different groups. Now, what will, that, what will the covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, because we know that the new covenant for the church in Jesus' blood is to remember his death and proclaim his death until he comes. 
We know that that's what the new covenant that the Lord Jesus did on that last supper. We know that that's what it is. Now we go, what's the new covenant that the Father will make with the house of Israel and the house of Judah? What will that new covenant entail? It's in the verse. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, here it is. I will put my laws into their minds. And I will write, write is epigrapho them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. So epigrapho is a compound of two Greek words, epi, which means upon, and grapho, which we learn when our Lord says, I will write, it's the same Greek word here that was one of the compound of the words, which means to inscribe or write. So the new covenant between God the Father and the house of Israel will include God the Father writing his laws on their minds and on their hearts. And here with this, what's another description of minds and hearts? Our foreheads. So when he will write on us on our forehead, it's the equivalent of our minds and in our hearts. Are we getting this? So here's a deduction. (laughs) There is more than one new covenant in the New Testament. There's a new covenant with the house of Israel spoken of in Hebrews 8. And I believe God the Father will write his laws on the hearts and minds, the foreheads of the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And he's going to begin with the 144,000. Remember, and we just read earlier that what was written on them, the lamb's name was written on them, and their father was written on their where? foreheads. So that new covenant that he will make with the house of Israel in those days is when he finally seals the 12,000 Jews from every tribe. And from there, the Father has made a new covenant with them. That's not us. And there's also this new covenant with the church or the Lord's Supper and, and communion. And here's when it says, I will write on him. Who's speaking here in, in our verse? Revelation 3, verse 12. So Jesus, I will write on him. So it's not the 144,000. It is the church. I believe that the Lord Jesus will personally write on the church the name, the anoma, the name on our foreheads, on our hearts, and in our minds, in the new heaven and a new earth. It's there. And all we did was took Scripture for what it says and didn't redefine anything. I didn't redefine Israel. I didn't redefine the house of Israel. I didn't redefine the house of Judah. I didn't redefine the church. They're defined in Scripture, and I kept it, the integrity intact. So if you kind of look at it this way, the Father is making a covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And guess who say, okay, you know in this covenant, I'm going to establish the throne of David and I'm going to you know enthrone and choose who's going to select oh he's gonna who's gonna sit and reign on that throne so the father made a covenant the original covenant and the new covenant on his terms and who's his king his priest and his messiah the Lord Jesus Christ but who's the one who made that covenant the father And all the Lord Jesus did was be faithful to whatever the Father has planned. Now, that being said, now, the church, you have the Lord Jesus Christ who made a covenant 
over his bride. And in that covenant, it was inaugurated in his blood. And as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and being part of the church of the living God, that part of that covenant is, okay, well, Lord, we believe, with, we believe in you. Thank you for saving and rescuing us and, and dying and paying for our sins. And we're going to proclaim your death until you come to receive with us. So we have the Father making a covenant and the Lord Jesus is part of that covenant because he's going to be, the, he is the son of David. He is the anointed one, the chosen one of the Father. And yet at the same time, we have the Lord Jesus who has, was given to him, not the house of Israel and the house of Judah, but the church in which he died, in which he made a new covenant with them, in which he will also bring to completion all that the Father has planned. I'm telling you, the Father and Son have their own roles in his redemptive will and plan, and they're in perfect unity, in perfect harmony, but they also have their own task. But who, who assigns out the tasks? It's all the Father from the very beginning. He's kind of saying, you know, son, I got the house of Israel, house of Judah, but son, I have a bride for you. Go die for her and make a covenant with them. And at the end, you're going to bring it all together as one happy family. But the father is over the covenant, over the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And then we have the Lord Jesus Christ as over this new covenant as we observe as the Lord's Supper and Communion. Thank you so much for listening today to Truth Matters Church. Be sure to join us next time as we conclude our lengthy study of the letter to the church in Philadelphia. We'll finish with a personally challenging examination of Christ's references to His God, scouring the scriptures to learn more about the mysterious relationship of God the Father and Christ the Son. If you're enjoying our expository studies, please consider joining us in person or online every Friday night. You can find out details at truthmatterschurch.org. And if you're blessed by the teachings you're hearing, consider supporting Truth Matters Church with a financial donation. You can give online again at truthmatterschurch.org. Contending for the faith one verse at a time. This is Truth Matters Church.